This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Please pray with me. O Holy Spirit, come among us, we pray. As we ponder your words of scripture, may you inspire us and encourage us to be ever more faithful to your calling. In Christ's name, amen. I ran across some pictures from 1918 when the Spanish influenza pandemic was raging. And I was intrigued to see this picture of Seattle policemen wearing face masks and a typist in New York City sitting at her desk wearing a face mask. And you know what I thought about when I saw these pictures? We aren't the first ones who've had to do this. And it gave me great comfort because it didn't last forever for them. And it's not going to last forever for us. And that was a relief. And then I opened up my Bible to our passage for today. This one that Dixie just read for us, Isaiah 56. And as I studied this section from Isaiah, I realized we aren't the first ones who've had to go through this. We aren't the first ones who couldn't meet in their house of worship. We aren't the first ones who've been scattered and feeling disconnected and isolated. We aren't the first ones who've had to find new ways to worship and and practice our discipleship. Because you see, the book of Isaiah is all about a season in the history of Israel where they were scattered far from their temple. So what we find here in the book of Isaiah especially in this section, Isaiah 56 and the surrounding chapters, we find God's regathering guidelines for God's people. And at the heart of these guidelines, especially in Isaiah 56, is the practice of praying together. So today, we're going to talk about these regathering guidelines that God gave the ancient Israelites, and we're going to reflect on the importance of prayer, particularly the importance of praying together in community. So I want to start by painting you a picture of what life was like for the ancient Israelites in the 5th century before Christ when this part of Isaiah was written. So 100 years earlier, the great nation of Babylon invaded Israel. They um, attacked Jerusalem. They invaded the city walls. They killed anyone in their way. They destroyed homes. They destroyed livelihoods. They destroyed life as they knew it. And then the, Babylon, the Babylonian warriors went to the temple, the sacred house of worship for God's people, the very place that King Solomon oversaw the building of. This was the pinnacle where they believed God resided with them. The Babylonian army ransacked the temple. They stole everything of value and then they desecrated everything left that was thought to be sacred. And if that wasn't, that wasn't enough, they then ransacked it further and destroyed it beyond use. And if that wasn't painful enough for God's people, the Babylonians rounded up all of the Israelites, all of the ones that had survived this invasion, and they forced them to leave Israel behind. 
As smoke from the invasion rose to heaven, so did the cries of mothers and kids, grandparents and orphans, husbands and wives, as they were forced to leave behind everything they knew and loved for an unknown future in an unknown land. Historians called this period the Babylonian exile or the Babylonian captivity, and it was a very disorienting, very painful period for God's people. They were whisked away to the far corners of the Babylonian empire, forced to settle in hundreds of towns and villages across the known world that was the empire. And these Israelites weren't prisoners exactly. They were exiles. They were free to settle in these Babylonian villages to which they were sent, but they had to assimilate to a new culture, a new language, a new way of life, where they were a minority. So in the blink of an eye, Their entire way of life was pulled out from under them, including how they knew to connect with God. And they had to find new ways to live, new ways to worship, new ways to be faithful to God when they couldn't go to their temple, when they couldn't gather in the assemblies that they were used to gathering in. And so these ancient Israelites they did find new ways to live and new ways to worship and new ways to connect with God. In their 100 or so years of captivity, they found ways to worship in small groups. They developed new patterns of prayer and new ways to connect with each other. But all the while, they maintained the core of their faith and they maintained a hope that this wouldn't last forever. And it didn't last forever. Eventually, they were allowed to go back to their homeland and begin to rebuild their city, their life, and yes, their temple. So as we open up here to chapter 56 in the book of Isaiah, we find ourselves in this season of rebuilding when Israel is returning back to their homeland and they're rebuilding their lives, they're rebuilding their temple, and they are anticipating the regathering. The regathering is what they're looking forward to. And in this section of Isaiah, we hear God's regathering guidelines about how they are to do this faithfully. And first we hear God give them instructions on the kind of people they need to be as they prepare to regather. We read this in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. For soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. These are the values that God wants his people to hold above all else maintain justice and do the work of creating right relationships between people and with God and people. In other words, stand up for the oppressed. Stand up for those facing inequity. Pay attention to those who are marginalized, those who are suffering. This is the value that God wants his people to hold above all else. 
What's really interesting in this section of Isaiah is that God basically tells his people, I don't care about your worship. It means nothing to me unless you are living lives of justice. In Isaiah 58, just two chapters later, God says this, is not this the fast, and you can translate that to worship, is this not the worship that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not hide yourself from your own kin? God is using this period of regathering to remind God's people that what matters most is how they spend the other six days of their week, not how they worship together once a week. I wonder how this translates for you today. In this period, as we wait to safely regather in the worship and the assemblies that we long for, how are you living out God's call to justice? How are you embracing this value that God wants in God's people? How are you doing this the other six days of the week? It seems to me that in this season, God wants to remind us, just as he reminded the ancient Israelites, that our calling as disciples of Jesus extends beyond gathering for worship and spills out into our day-to-day lives, into our commitment to do justice, to do what's right. The second regathering guideline that God gave his people in Isaiah 56 was to make space in their future worship, the worship that they would have when they regather, to make space for people who had previously been excluded. God says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Before the Babylonian exile, not all people were welcomed into the worshiping community of ancient Israel. In fact, many people were excluded for a variety of reasons, including Gentiles, because they were not Jewish by birth. And what happened during the exile is that God's people practiced their faith in the far reaches of the world And as they did that, foreigners began to follow God. People who had never had the opportunity to hear about God, to learn about God, to connect with God before were suddenly neighbors with people who knew God deeply. And over time, over time, more and more Gentiles began to worship God. And so God is telling his people here in Isaiah that when you regather, When you gather back into your temple to worship, you will have to regather differently. You can't go back to the ways of excluding the people that you previously excluded because I'm doing a new thing, God says. I want all people from all nations to know me and follow me. This is God's great vision for the world is that His kingdom would be for all people and all nations. So when you regather, God told them, 
You will welcome all people into the house of the Lord. It makes me wonder what will happen when we safely regather. Who might we be welcoming newly into our midst when we regather because of how we are living right now in this scattered world that we're living in? Because of how we are living out discipleship in the, where we live and where we work, who might join us when we regather because they meet God through us? And the third regathering guideline God gives his people in Isaiah 56 is about the foundational importance of prayer. God says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. A house of prayer for all peoples. This is the vision that God has for his church, that we would be an international gathering of prayer, that we would be a community where everyone and anyone can come and join us in a holy conversation with God. God wants us to pray together. It is the foundational work of the church. One of the commentaries I, commentators I read this week summed it up like this. The vision boldly, boldly claims that prayer can unite people of faith in God. Indeed, prayer is the hope to which God's pilgrims travel. People united before God in prayer, this is the eschatological hope of the faithful. What I want to make very clear today is that God's vision for a house of prayer is not simply a picture of a church on a Sunday morning where people pray together. God is calling us to much, much more than that. When God tells his people in Isaiah 56 that their new house of worship will be a house of prayer for all the nations, he is telling them who he wants them to be. He wants his people to be united together by prayer. And he wants all people, all nations included in this kingdom. God wants prayer to be the foundation of how God's people live in community, not just in a worship service, but all of the time. You see, God calls us to pray together all of the time because prayer is what unites us with God and it unites us one with the other. Remember, wherever and whenever we pray together, we are in the presence of God. This is what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. So when we pray with our kids, we are ushering them into the presence of God. When we pray with our spouse, we are uniting together with them and with God in a mystical way. When we pray aloud with our friends, we are building a bond as we have a holy conversation with God. And when we are praying by ourselves alone in our homes, but still praying familiar words that others are praying alone in their homes, we are connected through prayer in a mystical way. God wants the church to be a house of prayer for all people. And that means when we are not in God's house, God still wants us to be a people of prayer, people who pray together. Now I know, I know that many of us are very uncomfortable with praying in front of another person. It feels very vulnerable. We don't want to sound like amateurs. We don't want to make a fool out of ourselves. We don't want to say the wrong thing. 
And I, I don't know how to say this pastorally except for to say, we've got to get over it. <laughs> we've got to get over it. Because praying aloud with others is not about having flowery prayers to say the right things. It's about being in God's presence together. So here's my advice for those of you who are uncomfortable praying aloud in front of others. Just keep it simple. Keep it honest. No one's expecting you to have this eloquent prayer that can be written in a book. Remember that when you pray with people you know and love, the point is to bring God into a conversation with y'all, not to impress God or to impress others. It's about uniting together around God. I hope that that gives you the courage you need to take the leap and just try it, to just practice praying aloud to others. And the more you do it, the less uncomfortable it feels. And of course, one of the gifts of the church, especially for those who might be uncomfortable praying before others, there are lots of resources available to us to help us pray together. There are many, many resources, many prayer books, many liturgies that you could use to pray with one another, but I wanna share two resources with you today. The first resource I wanna share with you is particularly for those with children. There's a book that my family discovered several years ago, and it's our go-to for how we pray together as a family. It's called Teach Us to Pray by Laura A. Copley and Elizabeth Vander Hagen. It has family-friendly prayer services for every single day of the year. And it follows the church's calendar so the themes will correspond to what's happening in church. It has guide for prayers and songs, scripture and reflection questions, and it has hands-on tactile ways for kids to connect in prayer. Parents, I love this book. My kids love this book. I highly recommend it for you to help you usher your kids into God's presence through prayer. The second resource that I love that I want to share with you today is a prayer book called Common Prayer, a Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. It's an awesome resource for praying together, for developing holy habits of praying together. You can do it alone. You can do it with a small group, as a family, with friends. And these words will connect you with not only with God, but with others throughout the world who are praying these prayers. Pastor Tim is going to introduce this uh, resource to you now. Good morning. Uh, this morning, we are halfway through our 31-day prayer challenge. If you have not yet joined us in this challenge, it is not too late. I invite you to visit our website at www.apexumc.org. If you scroll down to the very first feature, you will see our Year with God. You can also go to apexumc.org, A Year with God. Uh, it'll bring you to our Year with God website. If you scroll down there, you'll see our prayer challenge. Look on August 2020 uh, prayer. And that'll bring you to our prayer page. And on this prayer page, it will share uh, why we think and why we're inviting our congregation to this prayer challenge. Why it's important for us as a church, especially as we are disconnected from each other, to stay connected to God and connected to one another through prayer. Uh, in the challenge for the month, you'll see resources that we're making available uh, for this prayer challenge. The very for first resource there is called the Book of Common Prayer for Ordinary Radicals. Uh, there's a website version as well as an app version. If you visit the website, uh, what you will find is an order for daily prayer. Uh, 
each and every day, you can uh, visit this website and let it structure and order your day about how we might pray. And whether you are praying alone, uh, praying with a spouse or a friend, uh, praying with a small group or your family uh, or a Sunday school class, uh, when you join together in this prayer, uh, we don't do it alone. Uh, we are praying with thousands of people, uh, not just in our own church, uh, but across the world as people come together for this regular rhythm of prayer. If you use the app, there's some great tools built in. Uh, on my app, what you'll see is I have here on my phone, uh, right there at the bottom next to my mail, uh, the prayer app installed. Uh, that way, the first thing in the morning when I get up and begin uh, to uh, my day, I can begin with the app, begin with prayer, uh, even before I do email or do uh, my to-do list. And on the app, what you will find is you will find, an, again, an order for morning prayer. If you click on the morning, you'll see uh, August 12th. It's the same order that's online. But on this app, you can also click and sing the songs if music is part of your prayer life and listen or sing along with a community of people joined uh, together in prayer. Uh, you can also click on the scriptures for the day. It will take you to BibleGateway.com, which is a great resource uh, for reading scripture. And you can read along with the scripture for the day. And I would encourage you that if uh, this is a practice that you are engaging in, to take the time to do this every day. I'll begin this morning. I'll maybe start the rhythm this week and then I'll reach out to us. Share with us what the experience is like for you or your family and how this rhythm of prayer uh, is transforming or it has the ability to transform us as a church as individuals, and as disciples of Jesus, as we seek to grow closer to God uh, each and every day. I do invite you to join us as we uh, gather together, not uh, in person, but virtually, uh, linked together by the Holy Spirit uh, through prayer. Here's the thing about praying together. If we want to follow God's regathering guidelines on Isaiah, if we want to maintain justice, if we want to be a people ready to welcome all into God's presence, then we have to be a people of prayer. It's foundational to our ability to live into our identity of who God calls us to be both as a church and as individuals. So will you pray with me? Let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for uniting us in the Holy Spirit through the practice of prayer. We give you thanks for these resources to help us pray together, and we give you thanks that you promise to meet us wherever and whenever we pray together. Empower us and inspire us to make this practice a regular part of our life that we can continue to grow as your people in these days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.